Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Howdy, y'all. My name is Ryan Banks. I am a Covenant community member here at The Well. I have the honor of hosting the Domain CG. And I have the privilege of serving on the audio production and greeters. Today I'm reading Titus 1, verses 5 to 16. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we got a nice little passage and a nice little toasty building today. Uh, excited. Um, we already joked multiple times about it being hot, so I'm not going to go there again. Uh, I also had a joke teed up to intro us in, but we ain't got time to play this morning, y'all, because it's too hot, and I'm trying to get y'all out of here, okay? So we're going to go right in. Week two, we ready? All right, y'all ain't even smile at that, so I can tell you are already salty. So here we go. Um, obviously, uh, every series where we walk through a book, it's actually really important to uh, know the context of the previous weeks. Uh, because it'll help you just kind of understand what's happening in the book at large. So in general, I would encourage you to just stay up to date and stay connected with what's happening. But in this series in particular, uh, week one is important because we laid a lot of foundation, particularly to our understanding of discipleship. And so if you happen to miss it, I would encourage you to listen to it when you can. I'm not going to reiterate a lot of the ideas around discipleship. So hopefully you kind of grab on to some of that. Uh, I will give you a very high level uh, review that as we're exegetically walking through Titus, we're going to intentionally be focusing on the idea of discipleship and really trying to process this as a church family. Uh, We believe that a disciple is someone who loves, follows, and serves Jesus. Therefore, disciple making is helping other people to love and to follow and to serve Jesus as well. 
there are, as we walk through this series as well, uh, one of them we're going to talk about both next week, uh, next Sunday we'll unveil it, and also in the class next week that we'll be teaching, we're going to walk through that as well. Uh, But for this week, I want to talk about the one that we talked about last week, because when we think about discipleship, I think that most of us think about it in a very personalized, individualistic sort of way. And there are two ideas of discipleship, and one of them is very personal, but there's also a corporate idea of discipleship as well. And both of those things are really important if we are to be holistic followers of Jesus. And so last week, we hit on the importance of individual discipleship, and we really focused on, hey, what is it that we're trying to disciple people towards? Ultimately, what we're trying to disciple people towards is greater faith in Jesus or maintaining that faith in Jesus or loving Jesus, 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 more of Jesus, right? That's what we're trying to walk into. This week, though, I want to switch over to the corporate importance of discipleship as we think about this passage, because discipleship is not just done at 7 a.m. at Merritt Coffee Shop which someone said that Merit owes me uh, for dropping their name last week. So if you got the plug, I'll take it, y'all. Gift cards are highly welcome. In fact, I went to Merit on Friday and met with uh, Shannon and Ben and uh, about to do their wedding in a couple of weeks. And there were literally 13 people from the well there. I was like, we really be up in this mug, y'all, all right? But um, discipleship, or at least holistic discipleship, is more than just that. That is important, that is beautiful, that is good, that is awesome, but there's more than just that. It is communal in nature as well. And that's what we see this week in the book of Titus. What we saw in the passage that Ryan just read are these two profiles of corporate leaders closely linked by the word for there in verse 10. And so verse 10 breaks the section between two leaders where five through nine is talking about one group of corporate leaders. And then 10 through 14 is talking about another group of corporate leaders. There are two corporate types of people who disciple or who influence entire congregations. In verse five, you see this idea of there being elders. In verse 11, you see this idea of there being other entities that disciple entire higher people groups towards loving, knowing, and following something. You have the positive in five through nine, elders. You have the negative, the false teachers, in verses 11 through 14. The church and thereby individuals within the church are going to be discipled by one of those two groups. The question is, who? Who are you corporately or communally being discipled by? That's the idea I want to ask today and I want to drive home, okay? Are you corporately being discipled by men and women who love Jesus or Instagram influencers who perhaps just love themselves? Are we starting too fast this morning? No, I slayed TikTok influencers last week, all right? Sorry if you are one, uh, but also make sure you're pointing people to the right person and that person ain't you, okay? Listen, we are being discipled by someone, each of us in here. And just as last week, we showed how individuals can disciple other individuals based off of their gifts and their skills. This week, I want us to see how corporately we disciple others by our positions or by the structures by which we align ourselves to. 
And so positions or leaders and structures, they also make disciples. That's the, the, the title for the sermon today. That discipleship is not just one-on-one in a coffee shop. Right now, we are practicing discipleship. I, corporately, as an elder, am either helping you to love, follow, and serve Jesus, or I'm pointing you to something or to someone else. If it's the former, then at least at this moment, I am being a faithful elder. If it's the latter, I am not pointing you to Christ, therefore I am a false teacher, and that is concerning for both me and for you as listeners. We are being influenced by someone. The question is who? So as we think about corporate or congregational discipleship today, I want us to see how structure and leaders, they corporately make disciples and how we are being corporately influenced. And also I want us to see how we can corporately influence others as well, that all of us are a part of congregational discipleship. Cool? Great. All right, Paul starts off, this is why I left you in Crete. Real quick. Part of discipleship, that means, is sending. Paul is leaving or sending one of his best ministry workers so that he could multiply gospel work. This is hard because Paul loved Titus. Remember from last week? This is why we do multiplication or why we want to multiply CGs or send internationally or plant local churches. We want more people to see and to experience and to love and to know Jesus. And so we raise up people to send them, not just to keep them. But also, Paul thinks that structure and leadership is so important that he's willing to send or to leave one of his best co-workers. You see, corporate discipleship is important. That phrase that you might put what remained into order is actually a medical term, which was used when you talked about healing a broken limb. So back in the day, they didn't have uh, x-ray machines and all sorts of medical jargon that I don't know because I ain't go to school for nothing like that, okay? But they have all the fancy equipment. And so what would happen if you would break a limb is that they would put you in a splint. They would try to put it as close to a line as possible. And then over time, they would hope that those bones would refuse back together. In fact, we still do the same thing sometimes today. That's the word that's being used here. Put a splint that it may be put back together because something was broken. This is actually a really cool thought because that means the setting in the right direction uh, is something that is necessary so that over time there would be health. This is not surgery that instantly heals, meaning corporate discipleship and leadership takes time. You see, sometimes we want the church to be perfect 10 days after we offer a suggestion for improvement and then we grow impatient not realizing that sanctification takes time. Shoot, even look at our own lives, right? Like it took years for certain things to be smoothed out inside of me. And there are still other things that have a long way to go. And I'm assuming the same is true about you as well. And so this takes time, but the structure of the church and the leaders of the church are supposed to be bringing healing to the broken limbs of the church that the church might be whole, That is the idea here of what leaders are supposed to do. They're supposed to be helping the church better love or serve or follow Jesus corporately. Now, let me say this real quick about leadership. I believe it has fallen on hard times in our culture and in some ways, understandably so. 
We've seen many public figures, even within Christendom, that fail to represent Jesus, which we'll talk about more in a second, but then we tend to be slow to trust leaders, and because of that, we tend to not really want to follow them. But godly leadership is one of the ways that God has established for his church to be corporately discipled, because as you'll see in a second, you are going to be corporately discipled by someone. It is not, are you being publicly influenced? It is, by whom are you being publicly influenced? If godly leaders that can help you better love, follow, and serve Jesus, as we'll see in a second, as we look at their lives and learn how to imitate them, this is a beautiful thing. If it's by the latter, by the world, then you are going to be led astray. Let me set up the godly leader real quick and why this is really important. First of all, uh, elders are shepherds, not CEOs. They love and they care for the sheep, not try to become the next best institutional organization and then call it a church. In fact, Paul gives why he thinks that these main things that the corporate leaders should be doing, why they're important here in a second. After giving a few of the qualifications, which we'll get to, he says, for an overseer, Okay, so the reason that the qualifications I'm about to give are important is for or because leaders are God's stewards. Now, leadership may be a trigger word because we think about it in an American context and we've seen it done poorly. And so you and I are swimming in a Cretan or in an American context and we mistakenly apply poor examples of leaderships onto a healthy church. But what if that leader like actually really loves Jesus? And what if the structure of the church is genuinely designed to help you better love, follow, and serve Jesus? Can this not be the most important thing actually for your spiritual health? You see, a steward is nothing more than a servant. It is someone who cares for somebody else's property with the utmost respect because they know that they're accountable for the way in which they give that thing care. You are the temple of God, the property, if you will, of God. You have been purchased with a price and leaders will give an account of your soul before God on that great day, Hebrews 13, 17 tells us. You see, God cares so much about you that he sent his son and spilled his blood that he might purchase you. Elders and leaders of a church are very simply stewards. They are servants to try to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. So who is it in your life who is constantly thinking about your soul and bringing it before the throne room of God and constantly talking to you about God to try to help you to love God? That is why being involved in a local church is so important. If you're not, then trust me, the world and your flesh are going to draw you away from God. You need people in your life who are thinking about your soul to encourage you to run towards Jesus. You need people who will care for you and who will point you towards Jesus. You need a spiritual covering by which the enemy cannot then assault you. And that spiritual covering are local churches according to all New Testament theology. This is God's means of redeeming the world to himself. And so biblical leadership is beautiful because a steward is ultimately family, simply a servant. 
Like, who in here doesn't want to be served, right? Not like I'm dancing, it's like, ooh, you got served. Not like that, right? Like, we mean in this model, okay? Like, if it's like, hey, I'm your leader, so do what I tell you to do, sure, that's whack. Nobody wants that, okay? But if it's, hey, I want you to love Jesus, like, how can I serve you? How can I encourage you? How can I rebuke or challenge you? How can I exhort you or get underneath you to lift you up that you might better love Jesus? This is a good thing. Listen, God believes in local church leadership so much that he isolates it four times in the New Testament by three different New Testament authors. In Acts chapter 20, Luke writes about the elders of a church. In 1 Timothy 3, in Titus 1, Paul writes about the elders of a church. In 1 Peter 5, Peter writes about the elders of a church. And you'll notice that Paul actually wants these elders established in every town, it says, right? Not just the towns where the churches had need, but Paul saw a leadership as an important corporate discipleship tool, as did Jesus as he's establishing Peter as the leader or other apostles, because even Christ knows that you need somebody thinking about your soul continually. Healthy structure and godly leaders, they help disciple the body corporately. They make sure that we are not being attacked by the fierce wolves of this world or of Satan or being deceived by the trickery of our own flesh that would lead us away from loving Jesus. This ultimately blesses us because these leaders, they're not trying to lord over us. They are trying to teach us, to love us, to serve us, to care for us, to guide us, to better know and love Jesus. This is what godly, healthy leadership does. Um, I think about this with the org chart on our staff team and the way we try to represent this. On our staff team, we have our org chart flipped upside down. And so Jesus is at the bottom of our org chart. The elders are above Jesus. I am above the elders, etc. Because in our understanding, the best and highest leader is actually the one that serves the most. Now that can sound cheesy. It's like Jesus is at the bottom, right? And that can sound, but like it's a quick little visual reminder of what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus is the greatest servant. I have not come, right? Jesus said, Mark 10, 45, we quoted that last week, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. When the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest, Jesus doesn't tell them, hey, don't desire to be great. He actually encourages their desire to be great. He just redefines greatness as the one who is greatest is the one who is the greatest servant. Desire to serve God's people. If you desire position so that you can coddle your insecurities, you are desiring it for the wrong reason, saints. But if you desire it, that you might better serve and love and sacrifice and even die for the bride of Christ, this is something beautiful. And as we do that, then you are encouraged as a body, as you do that, even in your small communities, your corporate communities of two or three, there is a life that comes from that, y'all. We need to be serving one another. I'm all off my notes and it's hot in this mug. Let me get back here, okay? Listen, our jobs are important, right? to do what it takes to help you to love, follow, and serve Jesus. So a leader's job is to serve and lift up others around them, which when this is being done well, then the whole church, verse five, is put into order. It begins to grow crooked limbs straight. It begins to grow crooked limbs, you and I, broken bodies. It begins to orient us straight again when this is being done well. 
Do you see the importance of this? Okay, this is why to the characteristics of these leaders, it seems like God is more interested in the character of a leader as opposed to the gifts of the leader. Do you see that there in this elder qualification list? A person with good character will inevitably produce good fruits and lead you to a good savior and a good king. Now listen, gifts and skills, they are important, okay? Praise God for gifts. Praise God for skillful gifts even. Praise God when people use their gifts in a way that honors God. This is a good thing. But if I were the best preacher on earth but had no character, I would not be helping you to love, follow, and serve Jesus. In fact, I may be repelling Jesus to you, hence why so many of us have church hurt. It's people with high skill and no character that makes us fall out of love with Jesus, right? Corporate discipleship matters. The character of the congregation that you are involved with matters more than the flashy experience of a congregation that you can only momentarily see with your eyes. Hello, we preaching. I know it's hot, right? Listen, a lot of flashy things that look good, once that veneer and the shine wears off, they're really rotten to the core, y'all. Are people helping you love, follow, and serve Jesus? Is there a fire in the gut of your leaders that loves Jesus and will do whatever it takes to help you do the same? This is a good thing to submit to when that exists. Be careful though who you are following. Do those people have character? Here, Paul tells us that leaders and those who we follow must be ones that have reputable character because they corporately influence us towards Jesus. It disciples our limbs to health. Now, in the past, we've done a sermon on the elder characteristics and we broke each of them down, talked about why they're important, what they practically mean, etc. Today, we're focusing more on why those characteristics are important. So if you wanna look at what those characteristics are, go back to our series in 1 Timothy. We did it a while ago, so you're gonna be scrolling, all right? But go back there and you'll see why we did these. These characteristics are important in corporate discipleship though. But that's why you'll notice, look in verse six, that the first few qualifications, it focuses on others. And those qualifications, the words and the length of them are drawn out. There is more language and there is more words given in verse six than in the other ones because the leader's primary responsibility is not towards organizational leadership. It is towards loving those who are closest around you. And this will produce the best discipleship for the church at large. Now, Paul then lists out five negative things that an elder should not be or do, and then six positive things that an elder should be or do. All of these characteristics or at least most of them, like you see on the screen there, they're character oriented, right? The only ones that aren't, I tried to highlight, uh, the parentheses is mine, by the way. That's not in the original Greek, okay? I'm like, I don't know if that one's character or not. It might be character, it might be some skill or something, but almost everything Paul is talking about of those multiple characteristics, almost all of them are character oriented because that helps us to love, follow, and serve Jesus, y'all. So listen, If your CG shepherd is like this, uh, if the elders that you know, if the staff team that you know, if the friends that you know, if they model things like this, then I would encourage you to genuinely thank them because they're likely influencing your faith way more than you realize. Now, these are the positives, the elders. However, not everyone is like this. Some of these cats, spiritual leaders included, are out for their own gain. 
They are selfish in how they are serving. They are not trying to disciple you towards Jesus. They are priests that are consuming your offerings that were supposed to be presented to God. They are the world that is not trying to help you love or follow Jesus. Remember y'all, the question is not, are you being corporately discipled? Rather, it is by whom are you being corporately discipled? What direction are you being pointed to? Are we being pointed towards Jesus or away from Jesus? These false teachers that Paul goes on to talk about are discipling people away from loving and following and serving Jesus. They're discipling people towards loving themselves or loving their own desires or following their own passions or serving themselves over serving God. Listen, a true sign of a false teacher will be someone who is always trying to turn you to yourself primarily or this kingdom or this earth primarily over God and others and the kingdom to come primarily. Y'all hear that? I know it's hot. You listening still? Right? Listen, a true mark of a false teacher is who are they pointing you to? Are they boasting in their own gifts? Look at what I've done. Are they boasting in their own desires? Are they encouraging you towards worldliness, towards things on this earth? You are being influenced, saints. It's just what direction are you being influenced? Now listen, it's not that you don't matter. Like if it's like, you know, hey, never think about yourself. No, you matter, like fully. Okay, you are the image of God. And good teachers will tell you this. But we are called to also consider others as more significant than ourselves. When we do this, True life actually springs out both for others that we are influencing and for ourselves as well. And so good teachers teach you to love others even more than you love yourself. False teachers get you to focus mainly on you and this will turn the the spring of your heart into a muddy ravine in the long run, y'all. Think about this analogy with me, okay? If your heart are like streams of water, and if you only focus on yourself, you never have other people pouring into you and you never pour out into others, then you kind of turn into this like pond, right? And ponds over time, they just get mossy and green and they get little like frogs jumping all up in them. And some of us got frogs jumping all up in the soul of our heart, right? However, if there is a stream coming in and a stream going out, then it continually flushes that pond and all of a sudden it can give life, not just for that body of water, but also where that body of water is going. So if you focus primarily on yourself and if that's the people you are listening to, you're going to turn into a dead body of water that will not breathe life for others, y'all. But if you're a stream that goes and that blesses others, you are going to encourage others. That's why leaders lay their lives down because they're the main ones showing us that this world is about giving to others, not just giving to ourselves. This is the importance of the leader. Notice, false teachers, they don't just deceive others. Verse 16, they also even deceive themselves. So they don't think what they're teaching is wrong. They're convinced it's right, y'all, or else they wouldn't be teaching it. Right? Like, like, so we have to question what kingdom are they building up? The kingdom of this world that will perish, the kingdom of self, or the kingdom of God? Is it building up others? Who are these false teachers pointing you towards? Notice Paul's emphasis in verse 11. He says, the commands of the people who turn away from God. There are these Jewish myths. There are the people of Crete. There are all these corporate entities that Paul is talking about there. 
meaning we are more influenced by corporate entities than we realize. We think that we are not being corporately discipled, but we are, y'all. Look at all of the entities that could be influencing us. Think about how many things that you think are right simply because you're American, right? But they're unbiblical and you don't even see it because you are being corporately discipled without even realizing it, saints. We are being corporately influenced, y'all. We are hardwired to follow because God created it inside of us that we might follow him towards life-giving waters. But in our fallen nature, we are prone to then follow after the wrong things. We are corporately made to follow. Who are you following? Once again, y'all, we have to be careful here. Look at what else he says. He says, the circumcision party is one of the people that you can follow. That is not some blatantly clear satanic party, right? Like in case you're thinking about following people who just blatantly worship demons, that's not what we're talking about here. The circumcision party, they were like Christ adjacent. They looked like they were following the right thing. And so therefore it is not always easy to spot false leaders because these people are professing to know God, but you will know a tree by its fruit. What type of fruit is it producing? That's why the character of the leader is so important, y'all. Right? Listen, we did a whole sermon on false preachers and false teachers in Second uh, Peter about a year and a half, two years ago. I would encourage you to go listen to it because it's a way by which we can discern who these false teachers are. They're not always easy to spot. In fact, false teachers and false prophets primarily have bad works that make you follow them, but really good words that confuse you. So it's not just somebody's words that are false, it's somebody's character and action because that is what you will ultimately produce as well, saints. And, and look, it says they're upsetting whole families. You see that there? There's a corporate deceit that's having a corporate effect on others. Like entire bodies are being influenced by this, which is interesting because Paul then gives them a corporate solution to this corporate problem. Bad teaching in the culture, then form a team that can help defeat this, right? In case you, I haven't hammered this point home enough already, let me give you one more thought before we learn how to apply this, okay? I'm saying the same thing like 15 times, very intentionally, because I think that we think we're going to get this right, and we often don't, y'all. We follow the wrong things, okay? Think about this. This might be helpful. Think about corporate discipleship in a negative, and maybe it will help you see why it's so important in the positive, Okay? How many people do you know, maybe yourself included, that has church hurt and perhaps even walk away from the church and therefore walk away from often their spiritual health because of bad church leadership and bad church structure? It is a lot. You probably know minimum three or four people who that has happened to. Bad corporate leaders give them a negative perception of the church. Someone who's supposed to be a representation of Christ misrepresented him. And then through this, people ultimately don't just blame the leader and go, oh, that was just that person. They end up blaming the entire church and at times even Christ himself. And then they punt the faith. Do you see how important corporate leadership is? It literally deceives people out of the kingdom of God at times even because we are following someone. We just got to know who is it that we are following. Half of the time, the people with church hurt don't even personally know the leader. They just saw him corporately and then they're influenced by it. 
And then they begin to follow wayward paths. Like, like do you see this, y'all? Right? Now, listen, I get it, okay? Sometimes the people with church hurt, they need to work on their own forgiveness and their own grace. And at times, we hold people in church leadership to standards of perfection that are only found in Christ himself. So I ain't talking about little mistakes that were then repented for and all of a sudden you got church hurt now and you can't. No, you make mistakes. You should repent as well and we should give each other love and grace and forgiveness in that, okay? But often the, what they feel is actually true. That leader is arrogant, that leader is into himself, that leader is building his own kingdom or her own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. And these poor examples negatively disciple people away from the church. Now, let's flip that to the positive. You don't think that your current love for Jesus and your maturity in Jesus is because of leaders and shepherds and structure and service that God has provided to you through local churches and through leaders that represent Christ? Like, do you think it's only because of one individual that discipled you? No, it's clearly because of the corporate whole. All of us are being influenced. I love that verse 10 talks about empty talkers, by the way, social media. These dudes just be saying stuff with emotion and then we be reposting them like they're bars. Y'all, I could get emotional or intellectual what I'm saying when I talk too, right? Emotion doesn't equal truth, God's word does. As a church, we are setting up ways to disciple multiple people simultaneously into Christ's likeness as we submit to the word of God and see the beauty of God and serve one another to showcase the wonders of Christ. This is what a church is supposed to be, y'all through the singing and the preaching and the serving and the fellowship and the sacraments and all of the things that scripture commands to be inside of local churches, a collective body is formed. And if they are doing all of that well, that collective body grows healthy. The broken limbs over time get rightened out in the context of the corporate whole. Elders are the emphasis here, but the structure is the background and all of us have a part to play in the reality of this. Paul is saying, listen, you are going to be led. It is in your nature. Who are the main voices that you're listening to, saints? Who are they? If we're honest, each of us are tempted to listen to ourselves and this world and false teachers who tell us things that we like that tell us half truths because each of us in the broken nature that we have, we are truth averse, y'all. It's hard for us to submit to truth. We want to be our own gods and set up our own kingdoms. Even though those kingdoms always fail us, we think maybe next time it'll give life. It never does. But we still have a hard time following godly leaders. Now, I could end here and I could say, Now go find good leaders and submit to them and be good leaders and personally uh, influence people around you as you corporately lead others. But then you and I know good and well that we will go and we will not serve the body, right? We will not give to the body. We will sin against the body. We will become the very false teachers that we just turned a nose up to. You and I are so quick to do that as well, y'all. It's so easy. And so there needs to be a deeper motivation than just go listen to good leaders and be a good leader. And that is where our true and better elder and shepherd, Jesus, steps in. Listen, I feel weighty reading passages like this, thinking about how my actions can influence someone towards Jesus or away from Jesus. And you should feel weighty too, y'all. Because while you may not be preaching from a stage on a Sunday, you are preaching with your life on a Monday. 
And people are influenced one way based on how we live. But Jesus's actions can redeem the brokenness of every human leader that has ever existed, y'all. You see, family, Jesus had every right every right truth to give. He never spoke a lie. He was the very word of God. Yet Jesus was silent before the wolves, even though he was truth himself. Paul says, silence the false teachers. But Jesus goes before all of these false teachers and then starts being treated like one and becomes silent himself. Mark chapter 15, verse 57. And some stood up and bore false witness against Jesus. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and gave no answer. We don't silence false teachers. We actually promote them in our hearts at times. Yet Jesus got treated like a false teacher. In fact, Jesus was literally tried. And the reason why he went to the cross to be crucified was because the Jewish leaders said that he was a false teacher. Jesus was tried for false teaching and got accused and goes to the cross, though there was no falsity within him. These false teachers were upsetting whole families, it says. Well, Jesus was treated like a false teacher and lost relationship with the heavenly father, his family. Jesus, the pure one, verse 15, becomes defiled so that we who have caused corporate hurt and have received corporate hurt from others can be led by the blood of Christ towards purity. You see, Jesus was corporately shamed in front of crowds so that he could purchase a corporate church who can shame the devil as we walk in holiness. Listen, God made the true teacher, Jesus, be treated like a false teacher so that you and I, who at times teach false things and at times follow false things, might be made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus resurrected and intentionally established his church. He didn't call us to be a bunch of individuals running around. He established the church of God. He has always been about building the collective whole, the church. And so in light of Christ, can you see the importance of the church? Jesus died, not just for you individually, but over and over and over again, the New Testament claims he died for us as a whole. Paul is telling Titus, think like this so that you can raise up others who live in Christ-like manners to to help people see Jesus. So application, who is your team? I'm just asking you a bunch of questions for application. You can go apply it, right? Who are you building friendships around? What are you building friendships around? Is it around the personal work of Jesus or around UT? Because y'all are finally good again. Somebody said, wow. You know, I can tell y'all weren't listening because it's hot in here. I just had to get some, right? Listen, how are you influencing your volunteer teams? How are you influencing your CG? And to what end are you influencing them towards? Do you see your part in the body, saints? Do you see that, man, even when it's hot, you're like here, like you start worshiping that something as small as that can corporately influence two or three people around you to better love, follow, and serve Jesus? Do you see your life like that? That people are watching it? That while the elders are meant to lead, yes, ultimately everyone is meant to lead because Christian leadership is simply service and all of us are called to serve. We are each corporately influenced in each other. Who are you influencing people towards? Are you using your gifts to build up? We need you. 
I told you last week, like 20 times, how I cried like 10 times at the baptisms, right? Like over and over, because that was influencing me towards loving Jesus. We are stewards of God. Maybe we are stewards over different things, maybe not over an entire church, but you're a steward nonetheless. So whether you have five talents or one talent, God expects you to use that to multiply the church to encourage a collective whole towards better loving and serving Jesus. As we learn to point to Jesus, the communal body is formed into Christ's likeness. I, saints of God, I desire more of Jesus. I really do. And I need you to help that. And also you need me to help you. And also we need each other because that's how the body of Christ is formed. So let's grow in holiness. Let's continue to look like Jesus. Let's have character like these leaders. Let's model Christ. Let's serve Christ. Let's love others like Christ, that Christ might reign in our lives until Christ returns or Christ takes us home because it is for Christ that we do all of this. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. Y'all are troopers. I'm hot. I just lost five pounds. All right, let's pray together. Okay, let's sing and then go to our ac cars. <laughs> Yeah, um, Jesus, I joke, but let, let me pull it back into seriousness. Uh, we have an opportunity to gather to worship you. Now think about other countries I've even been on on mission trips and how they literally are risking their lives just to sing songs to you. Like they're literally risking the potential of death just to gather as a corporate body because somehow they see the importance of the gathering of the corporate body. I pray that you would give us conviction like that, Jesus. That you would help us to see the importance of the bride of Christ. These are the women and the men that you love. These are the sons and the daughters that you have laid down your life for. We are the church. And we are discipling each other. And so Christ, I pray that you would help us to do that well. God, I pray for those who walked into this room, maybe they're unsure of where they are in a relationship with you. Friend, maybe you walked in, you knew that you were not a Christian. Maybe you walked in with a ton of church hurt and you've kind of rejected the church for a long time and you've accidentally in the process rejected Christ. I want you to know that Jesus wants you in the family of God. He invites you to commune with him. He invites you to heal the hurt that others have done. And he invites to heal the hurt that you have done. All of us stand guilty. All of us have chosen our own way over Christ. All of us have made mistakes, yet the blood of Jesus covers all sin. And so as you believe in Jesus by faith, as you say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. Jesus is, you're mine and I'm yours forever. So I pray that people would walk out placing their faith in you, Jesus. Friend, don't walk out of here without considering eternity, relationship with Christ. And Christ, I pray for each of us who have made that profession of faith. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to love the church, to lay down our lives for the church, to recognize how we are either corporately influencing others or to realize how we are being corporately influenced. Help us to submit ultimately to people that would help us to love you more, Jesus. I thank you that you have made us 
followers by nature because ultimately that's the reason that we can choose to follow you. So I pray that each of us would choose to follow you again, even today, Jesus. We love you, Christ. We thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We praise things in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.